Hi, this is Joe Shannon. I'm a lawyer, a husband, a father of six kids, and I also uh, host a podcast called Opening Statement with Joe Shannon. Please consider listening to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple, and any other folks that host podcasts. Just Google Joe Shannon and podcast and you'll find it. I hope you enjoyed the show. Listen, I'm really excited to welcome to the show Lauren Mers, who works for Live Action, and she's going to tell you her role in that. But a uh, really delightful person who is, uh, you know, very young in my book. I mean, I'm in my 50s. And I know that she's uh, been working hard since she, she uh, graduated from college and is passionate about her work. So I wanted to, to try and find out what makes her tick. You know, what was her upbringing like? What kind of habits does she have? So Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Joe. Great to be here. So Lauren, um, before we get started, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? T- t- tell us where you're from. Okay. Um, so where I'm from is a little bit of a long story. So the short end of the, the short story is I grew up as an Air Force brat. So I grew up in the military overseas in Japan and England, but I was born in Kansas. My family's back in Kansas after my dad spent 20 years in the Air Force. And then I'm here in Arlington, Virginia. So Arlington, Virginia is where we're, where I'm talking from today. Where did you spend your time, like your grade school and high school time? Yeah. So grade school. So I was in, um, Japan from ages, uh, four to 10. And then 10 to 18 was all in England. What part of England? Uh, we were at Milton Hall Air Force Base, so three hours northeast of London. So like 40 minutes from Cambridge. You know, I spent a year, uh, nine months in London um, awesome. during law school. At, when I was in Notre Dame, I, I, uh, they have a law school over there in London. And what a delightful time I had over there. Um, it was such a nice place. That must have been quite an experience you know, growing up. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Um, so we were actually, I was homeschooled all the way through. So I had the flexibility and my family had the flexibility. Like, you know, we didn't really have tons of events to run around to. So we just did a lot of touring in England. We actually had, it's called the English Heritage. They run a bunch of the historic monuments all throughout England. So my dad would get us a membership every year and basically throw the book at us and be like, all right, if it's within three hours distance, we can go visit this weekend. Um, so yeah, I joke that I played in castles as a kid, which is true. Um, so yeah, it was super special. I also learned how to do horseback riding in England so I can do English riding. And then I also learned how to play violin when I was there too and have a beautiful instrument that we actually got in Cambridge. Um, so it was a very, very cool experience. Obviously, I didn't really know much else except in Japan. Um, so for me, it was just, you know, our, our way of living. We lived on, on, in base housing for most of the time. Um, so with a bunch of other Americans. But then my dad was always really good about getting to know the local culture. So we actually went to uh, one of the, you know, local parishes for mass um, and would like hang out with everybody after church. With in, in England, they don't have coffee and donuts. They have tea and biscuits. <laughs> So we had tea and biscuits on Sundays with everyone. Um, it was very special. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love Virginia, because it feels very similar to England. It's super green. The seasons are similar. Virginia is a little bit more, uh, ex- slightly more extreme than England in terms of winter. But um, 
yeah, it was awesome. And I miss it a lot. I actually haven't been back since I uh, moved here. So it's on my bucket list to go back to England. So uh, after you get out of high school, then where'd you end up going? I went to Christendom College, a small Catholic liberal arts school here in Virginia. Um, I, you know, grew up in a big Catholic family. I'm the oldest of 14 kids. And again, I was <laughs> not a small family. Uh, so I, I was homeschooled and I kind of taught myself high school and I was using Dr. Warren Carroll's uh, history books during high school. And he's the founder of Christendom. So they had this little bio on the back of my history books in high school about this Catholic college um, that was really small and like really focused on liberal arts. So I applied and it was the only school I got into. So I took that as a sign. That's where I was supposed to go. Now, where, um, where in Virginia is it? Lauren? In Front Royal, Virginia. It's an hour and a half uh, west of DC. Okay. Yeah. And um, so you got to, you're, is this your first time in the States then? Or you, you were in Kansas for a while, right? Yeah, I was in Kansas till I was four. So when I turned 18, it was a crazy year because that April we retired, moved to the United States to Missouri at the time. And then five months later, I went away to Virginia. I had never visited Christendom. I hadn't been in the state since I was four. Uh, so it was a big adjustment of a year. Just one of those things would have been a huge adjustment, but it was awesome. I think it really pushed me out the door and onto my own two feet. And yeah, Christendom was a great environment to, you know, really form my theology and philosophy and my faith. Um, and I use a ton of the skills that I learned at Christendom today in my work. Um, learning how to think, read, write really well uh, and communicate well has been, you know, invaluable in my work today. Tell me what it's like to be the oldest of 14. I'm, I am number nine of 10. Uh, so I, my, I didn't have my older brother's experience. My, my oldest brother, Tom, uh, who was, you know, the, the, the lead dog and, and basically the, the, my, my parents, I think, experimented on what was right, what was wrong, how to be a good parent. And I always have a sensitive spot for the oldest. And so, oh, you, you went through it. Yeah, I really did. Um, yeah, my mom often calls me the guinea pig. <laughs> yeah. She was test, you know, testing a bunch of things. My parents met when they were in high school and then got married right out of high school. Um, so, you know, they were also kids raising kids, I would say. So it was really, uh, uh, I feel like in some ways I, grow, I grew up with my parents in some respects. Um, but it was awesome. It always feels like a party. You always have you know, a friend around or somebody to hang out with, a baby to hold. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons I would say I'm in the pro-life movement today because I grew up in a family that was just full of generosity and love and service to others. Um, and yeah, just like love, love, love babies. <laughs> and I remember, yeah, I remember when I graduated and I just started to really realize when I graduated from Christendom, I just really started to realize how prevalent abortion was throughout all of our country. And I just, it's just kind of dumbfounding that it's so just saturating in our culture. Um, and yeah, it was just so, you know, the polar opposite of the experience of my life. And yeah, I felt very called to help it and end the injustice. So um, when you were growing up, um, you're, you basically, um, you, there was always a baby there. Oh yeah. You're always taken care of. You're always <laughs> so. So then um, the um, and, and this was my experience too. I but I was on the bottom end, and yeah. so I was always I what I've always felt 
being from a big family and as I, you know, we talked about right before my, my father just passed away and he was 98 and um, we were all out on my sister, Mary Jo's deck and we we're talking about my father and because uh, my mother passed away about 15 years ago, mm-hmm. um, 16 years ago. And so we were talking about my father and, and how he kind of transversed life. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he and my mother, because, um, you know, I mean, I, it was probably like your experience, you know, that really money wasn't really the holy grail, uh, you know, in the military, when my dad was a social worker, it was more, richness was within the depth of relationships you have with people, mm-hmm. and the depths of your, your faith life, and um, I wrote an article about it, uh, I just finished it, and it's going to be in our next oh, newsletter, awesome. yeah, that was really, really yeah, I will. Well, I'm going to add you to our list now, but you probably are a much better writer than I am and, and I have some great stories. But, but, I, but you know, the, um, the thing I learned from having a big family, I have six kids of my own, but um, so I, I didn't match my folks. But, but the, um, the thing that I've learned in being in a big family is how to get along with people, mm-hmm. how, how to share and how to be a good fighter too. I mean, you, you got to fight, um, you got to yeah. fight. And so you know, I'm glad that you, when you, you decided to go to college, that you, you picked one that was right for your personality. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I would say, um, yeah, Chris and I in some ways also felt just like an extension of family. And I think you're totally spot on when you are from, from a big family and part of a big family. Um, you really do learn that relationships are, you know, one of the most important things um, that you can really master in life. And that will get you so much further and make you feel more fulfilled like success by the world standards is money fame like all these material things and attention but ultimately those still leave you empty but yeah the relationships that we build really are what help make us feel more fulfilled and help us to find our purpose in life all right so let's let's back up so you graduated okay. from college from christendom and 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 that's about 10 years ago yeah, 10 years this year. This May, actually. Yeah, we just passed our 10-year anniversary. All right. So um, one of the things that, that I like to do in these podcasts is to find out what kind of habits people have and why they do certain jobs mm. and what makes them tick. Do they want to go to work in the morning? Do they you know, That type of thing. When you yeah. got out in 2010, did you have a plan about what you wanted to do? And did God laugh at your plans or did, you, <laughs> did, did they come true? Um, I actually did not have super strong plans. I had an idea. So I thought I wanted to get involved in politics in DC. When I was at Kristen on my senior year, I got involved with our debate society at the, at the campus and, uh, just become, became much more aware of, you know, how our government works, um, the issues at hand, the culture wars that we're fighting. Um, so that was one of the reasons why I moved to DC. I actually, um, I waitressed over the summer after I graduated, which was great, you know, easy money. It was very fun. Uh, up in Montana, actually. And then that November, I packed up my car and just drove to Virginia. I had one interview ready and had applied to a bunch of other places. Um, And I did, yeah, I felt very called to be in DC for some reason and to be closer to my friends. I have awesome, awesome friends with Kristen that I'll just be friends with absolutely forever. And I I knew I needed their support and I need to get on my own two feet to just like go out into the deep and just figure it out. Like couch surf, I couch surf for a while. Um, but I ended up getting the, the job right out of college and I had no idea that I would go into fundraising or, you know, fundraising I say is like a mixture of sales and marketing. 
So I really had to learn from the ground up. I started as a development assistant. Um, I thought I wanted to get involved in politics or like event planning. And it's funny how God is kind of like, all right, I see those things, but here's a way to channel it. So now I still do some event planning, even with live action. Uh, obviously, it's the, the issue at hand is, you know, politicized. I wouldn't say it's necessarily political, but it's politicized. Um, so he definitely put, he's putting all of my skills to use in ways I would have never imagined, but it's, it's the, such a fulfilling job. I've, um, did you, so you, did you work for live action right out of college? No, I worked for another conservative nonprofit called Media Research Center. I worked there for three and a half years first. Okay, so um, so you, you get out of school, you you yeah. find your job, which is a hard thing to do to figure out where you want to be. So you so I can tell from our our conversation that you have a very deep faith life. I do. Did I have? <laughs> is my intuition good? It is one hundred percent correct. Okay, good. So a lot of a lot of people your age don't. Would you agree yeah. with me on that? Oh yeah, it's very true. Okay, so um, I'm gonna put you a little bit on the spot here, okay? Are you okay with that, Lauren? I'm ready, go for it, bring it on. Okay, so a lot of people think that a faith life is absolute nonsense. That it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's make-believe or, or you know, whatever. Um, tell, me, tell me how you develop that faith life and then how is it practical to you? Mm, those are great questions, man. Yeah, let's start with, let's yeah. dig in here. We this can, is, we can talk for hours about this. <laughs> this is what I want to talk about because the, these are important issues that I think yeah. you know, are fundamental because, yeah. listen, it, it, what I believe in my, in my bones that your spiritual health is about a billion times more important than your physical health. Yeah. And we got it the other way around. I think physical is very important, obviously. Yes, yes. But the spiritual health, knowing how to think or what to think about is important. And I want to know from you, how did you cultivate that? And then, I, you know, obviously, like, for example, for me, I lived in, this is confessional here for you a little bit more. <laughs> I, I lived a little bit of an Augustinian lifestyle. Oh, okay? wow. Yeah. 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 You know, St. August, you know, St. Augustine is pretty funny. He's, you know, he's, a, he's a great African uh, bishop, the Bishop of Hippo in Africa, and um, probably one of the greatest saints in the Catholic Church. Anyway, he basically, you know, it was funny when he was starting out, he said, God, save me, but not yet. You know, he, he wanted to have some fun, you know. And so um, he was a very human, very human saint, you know, that way. Uh, where they say all, uh, all saints have a past and all sinners have a future. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the route with him. So I lived that kind of life. And it was, it was, I was Catholic light for a long time. And then I started having a family and, and things became more important to me. And then that kind of kicked in a little bit more, both from a, both from a spiritual side and a practical side. And so you're hitting that earlier. And, how, and so tell us how you developed your faith life. I think you told a little bit about your family, but how did yeah. you do it personally? Yeah. So it was definitely you know, started and very, very strong in my family. My parents actually had a, a big reconversion when I was about seven. So I remember a time of like, faith was not part of our family until I was seven years old. And we were in Japan and my parents um, met with this priest and there's this amazing convent in Akita, Japan. And I remember this, like, it was like a light switch. All of a sudden we were going to church every mass every Sunday. We were praying the rosary every day. So 
it kind of, you know, was obviously very, very strong in my family. But I think uh, going to Christendom, I had to make it more personal. I had to decide for myself whether I was going to continue on this road. Obviously, Christendom is a good, Catholic, great Catholic college. Um, and then even more so after Christendom, the habits that I had formed of, you know, daily prayer and just the example of all the amazing professors at Christendom, um, you do kind of have to grapple with it of like, all right, is this something I really think is for me? And is it something that I need to pursue? And, you know, we all are sinners and we all fight, fall into different sins. And you just, I think we all kind of experience this when you have something that you struggle with regularly, like, you know, say a certain sin that you just like cannot seem to get over there. You just, you can't get through it on your own. Um, and you you kind of, we all kind of hit a little bit of rock bottom or multiple rock bottoms, even if you are faithful and there's, you just kind of go through phases in life. And I feel like every time for me, I, for example, I struggle with kind of like controlling things and I like, I want everything in order as old as so many kids. I'm very like, I have discipline and structure and all these different things in place. And God has kind of showed me over and over again, like you are not in control. And every time I try and like pick my own way or do my own thing, um, you know, God kind of put, there are some, you know, various roadblocks or things just are harder than they should be. And I think that's kind of a sign, like our spiritual lives are not, or, you know, our lives are not supposed to be miserable. And so if you are miserable and there's things where you're just like, you feel like you're doing the right thing every day and you think you might have the right habits, but if something still feels off, that is a sign. Like there's something else you're missing. There's a sign that you're not seeing. Um, so for me taking the, I have every morning, I wake up, I try to wake up around six and I have to have silent prayer of just like, I journal every day mm. um, and taking the time of like reading the gospels. So I'll have the gospels open and just do, you know, maybe a chapter. Sometimes it's less if a certain passage hits me, but taking that time in silence of like giving God the space for him to talk and the realizations you have and the light bulb moments where you're like, oh my gosh, here's this thing I've been struggling with. I've been grappling with haven't been able to figure out on my own. And so, when you have that space for silence and quiet, um, no phone, like, you know, there's no one around, you know, the gospel, you know, the Bible even says, like, go to your, lock yourself in your room and be, you know, alone with God. Um, and Jesus gives that example too of, you know, even though he was in the midst of his ministry, he goes away into the mountains, away from everybody in the middle of his preaching to take time with the Lord. And that has been, that, that really, that habit is essential. I have to have the silent prayer every day, even if it's just 15 minutes and that's all I can fit in. I'm sure How long have you been doing that? So I've been doing it extremely consistently for probably a year and a half. And then I kind of like, it's one of those things that you kind of like flip flop. I, I christened them, they encouraged that. I had, you know, regular prayer. So maybe five times a week I was doing that regularly and taking time in the chapel. But it wasn't, you know, same thing. I just felt like I still didn't have the, the habit probably until, yeah, a year and a half ago, like really consistent. And it has been absolutely game changing. So do you look back on your, on your journal and reflect, and then you kind of oh, yeah. kind of discern what, what, what you should be doing? Yes. Yeah. And yeah, having, having little, um, you know, resolutions and having some sort of an accountability partner. I've been really lucky. I've had two really awesome life coaches. I've had a couple different mentors throughout my life who have helped me just having that somebody to check in. Like it's not somebody telling you what to do or sure. even telling you what your resolutions are, but someone who knows what they are and then checking in with them uh, regularly. And then, yeah, I, t I would say it's probably once a month. I'll also go through, 
yeah, my, either the journal I'm currently working in or sometimes even the past couple where it's like the past year or so to see, like kind of see God's path and like how things have resolved themselves, the prayers and intentions and dreams that I had a year ago, how have they come true? Um, and cultivating that sense of gratitude. I know gratitude is like kind of talked about a lot in like uh, self-care self and different things like that, but having a true deep gratitude and ultimately that gratitude means, you know, being thankful and appreciative to our creator. That, that's true gratitude, right? Because everything is a gift and everything's been given to us. So also, I'll, you know, I take time to petition and ask for all the help that I need, you know, write down the things that I'm struggling with, and then also taking the time afterwards to like set the day straight of like, okay, what am I grateful for today? What am I looking forward to today? Um, because, you know, positivity really does kind of uh, have a ripple effect, just like negativity. So you kind of have to choose for yourself. And I've learned that a lot too. It's all in your own mentality. Um, and keeping those habits in place in them. That's great. So then, so we got journaling, we got a, a time in the morning to self-reflect. We've got that. And then um, any other great habits you have that make you effective? Um, I mean, I'm Catholic. So for me, the sacraments, <laughs> I have right. to do a mass regularly. Uh, confession every like two to three weeks is essential. Um, we have to admit that we are fallen and that we need help. Sure. Um, and I, I've learned that the hard way many, many times. So having that humility that I can't do it on my own, um, and the amount of grace that just gets infused in your life when you, you know, participate in those things is just amazing. And then I also have, uh, you talked about physical health and how, you know, that is important. We do have it reversed, but at the same time, having a healthy, uh, physical yes. life, eating well, I am a runner, so I run at least four times a week, um, I've actually struggled with depression a lot of my life and I have found my dad kind of kicked my butt when I was about 16. He took, I was struggling with exercise induced asthma and just like really struggling emotionally um, and had put on a little weight. Uh, just kind of like my self-confidence was not there and you know, dad and his wisdom and intuition was like, you are sitting around too much and you need to get out and go get some fresh air and go like work your body. Um, so that's been game changing. And after Christendom, I uh, started running half marathons. So having those goals, you know, I try and do one once or twice a year. Having a goal like that for yourself, even if it's just to beat your own little record or your past, you know, past time, I think is super, super important. Even, you know, not everyone needs to be a runner, but find the thing that you are, that you enjoy doing exercise wise and just the same thing, being disciplined to do it regularly has also been game changing. Well, that's, that, that's good stuff. I, so I think those are some pretty good habits as far as, you know, anybody can take. And um, yeah. so let's move to the, the next question about, so we've, we've talked about your faith life, how it's important to you, um, the, the personal relationship you have with God and Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. um, and that you ask the Holy Spirit for, for help all the time. How is that practical? Come on, Lauren. How is this practical <laughs> in your life? How does it make you effective? Um. Okay, so I would say the one of the biggest things we were talking earlier about relationships. So for me and my role as director of strategic partnerships, I'm dealing with relationships outside the organization and internally because I'm on the executive team. So I am managing seven people as well as helping you know manage the entire team. And in order for me to have the wisdom and the like clarity uh, in decision making and strategizing, you have like that wisdom is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So I need that extra grace to even be able to make the right decisions at work, to be able to 
lean into those really tough conversations. You know, you're in that moment and you're like having a conference call or you're in a meeting and you're like, oh, I should really speak up against this or about this. This thing's been bothering me. Um, and you have that decision. You know, we have those decisions every day. Sometimes it's every hour of should I lean in and kind of be vulnerable here and speak my mind or should I just kind of like eh, let it slide so it'll figure itself out but then it comes back to bite us so having that courage and wisdom to like when to speak when to not speak and the decisions that need to be made strategically um, things that need to be brought up in conversations with you know the relationships or people that I'm managing uh, there's no way and I, I know from experience if I try and do it on my own without prayer I mess it up <laughs> yeah you know I, I, I often you know I've, I've read probably I don't know three or four books I probably got about a dozen more to go on on uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta oh, awesome. and I, I talk you know and I've got a picture of her up on my wall I got uh, uh, you know our patron saint of lawyers behind us um, in this picture, uh, he stood up to King Henry VIII uh, back in the day, and um, but I I think of her, uh, this little four foot nine woman from Albania, who you know very low income family, uh, ends up being a a nun for this Irish group. I think it's the Loretto um, nuns or something, mm -hmm. and then she goes to India, uh, among all the folks that are not her faith. And so she's there and she's in the poorest city, one of the poorest cities in the world, the poorest part of the poorest city in Calcutta. And, um, you know, I've read about her habits and her habits uh, tell, tell us a lot. So, so her, her basically, and I talked about the practical part of it, is that, so for her, you know, she, she led with, we're not a social service organization. We just, we're just not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, the number one thing that I do every day is I pray, I go to mass and, um, we, um, we're in adoration and we know who we get all of our life and gratitude and I'm grateful for it. And I can't help but pass that on to mm -hmm. our clients and the people that we deal with our brothers and sisters every single day that are dying in the streets, especially the little kids. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when people would thank her, you know, she would always just, you know, point to the crucifix and say, listen, this isn't me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm basically the pencil in God's hand. And I've always loved that imagery that I'm the pencil in God's hand because um, God wants what's right and just. And he, and he wants, if, if you ask him and petition him for things all the time, you'll get whatever you want if it's good for you. If it's not good for you, the answer is no. The answer is absolutely no. You're, it's always going to be no, no, no. Yeah. And so the, the, the prayer that I like to pray is the one that um, Solomon said uh, when he first became king. And, and you know, uh, God came to him and said, hey, hey, Solomon, you're the man now. You know, your dad, David's gone. Um, what do you want? You can have everything. And he said, he thought about it for a while. And he said, um, God, you can give me anything. All I want is the wisdom to know what you want me to do. Mm -hmm. And then God said to him, said, Solomon, that's the right answer. Because mm -hmm. now that you've, that, that you've just wanted that rather than everything else, you're going to have everything else. You're going to be the most wise person that ever lived. You're going to get the most riches, et cetera. And I think, you know, it's just, that's a great story for us that were, are in public type service, you know, like you and, and me, is that 
you know, sometimes the things that we want personally aren't things that God wants. And that's a tough thing to figure out. That's why I think your habits that you have mm-hmm. are really good. And I'm, I'm hopeful that, that I can, I, I'm trying to learn from everybody I talk to and I don't keep the journal. I'm, I'm thinking you may have oh. t- brought me over to the journal, Lauren. It is awesome. I've been journaling since I was probably 12. Um, I just, I'm a big thinker. Um, even though I don't know, do you follow Myers Briggs, the other Myers Briggs personalities? You know what? I don't know if I've taken that. I've taken a couple of the other ones, oh, but I, yeah. I got to check that out. Yeah, check it out. Myers Briggs, we use that tool regularly at work. I use Myers Briggs uh, to help understand people because how do you have good relationships? Yeah. You have to know them. Anyway, um, yeah, with journaling, yeah, being able to have that, like, to be able to reflect on the past, it's just like that's why we study history. It's kind of studying your own little personal history of where, where did you go wrong and where did you go right? Uh, to be able to guide you into the future and to make the right decisions going forward. It's, that is, yeah, highly recommend, highly recommend. So tell me some, um, some folks that, that have been instrumental in your life. You, you talked about your, your parents, obviously, um, yeah. your father at 16. I, I have a 15 year old daughter and a 11 year old son. That's the only ones that are kind of still high school and grade school with me. And I'm still working hard uh, dealing with them. Yeah. Uh, and trying to be the best dad I can be. But um, who are some other people in your life that have been very influential? I know there's many. You talked about your professors, and I've read a couple of your articles, and you, you're very gracious to a lot of the folks in your life. But maybe you could highlight a couple people that were really like, hey, this people, these are people that really make me better. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, meant, I did mention this in one of the articles you might have read. Tambi Spitz at Christendom when I was working in the student life office in like a work study while I was there. She was just so impactful as a leader because she took it upon herself to have that personal relationship with me. And she was, you know, bold and gutsy enough to tell me where I was going wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, she would sit me down and be like, Lauren, no, this is how we need to handle this. Um, and then she would also kind of uh, put put decisions and, you know, even personal challenges she was facing and she would like pull me into her office and kind of try to get me to help her solve the problem, kind of put it in my court of like, so she really valued my opinion and valued um, being able to hash out different challenges and things with me. Uh, So I felt very valued and then also felt very much, um, yeah, respected. Uh, so I try to do that, you know, now today with my staff members, I have those one-on-ones with every single one person that I'm managing. I do at least an hour once a week with every single person. So they know it's dedicated time just for them, for us to just discuss anything and everything on their plate, um, you know, have build the personal relationship. So, so, you know, we don't necessarily just talk about work, uh, knowing people personally and being invested in them uh, really came as an example from Tambi. Um, and I learned all, you know, most of my administration skills and like operation skills that I still use today and that I'm training other people on my team with was from Tambi as well. What's Tambi's last name? Tambi, uh, she was Spitz. She has a, it's Kill Hefner is her, her uh, married name now. All right. Shout out to Tambi. Way to go, Tambi. Way to go. All right. What else she got, Lauren? Uh, um... Uh, I would say Lila, our president, also has been very, very influential. Um, she, very similarly, she's taken such a personal investment in me. Uh, and she's, you know, helped me get awesome life coaches and mentors. Uh, same thing, she calls me out when I make a mistake. 
Um, and I have the, you know, ability to also call her out where I'm like, oh, don't think this was a great decision. <laughs> uh, so we have that, um, yeah, vulnerable, vulnerable, healthy, honest relationship with each other. Um, and yeah, same thing. I feel so valued, uh, with my opinion and I feel like she's helped cultivate my, my wisdom. And she's also been an awesome example. One of the reasons I picked up journaling again was because Lila journals very regularly every day. Um, well, she's doing it and you're doing it. I, I got no excuse here. <laughs> now, how many pages a day or is it just one page or does it matter? It, it depends. Some days it's six pages, some days it's a half page. It really depends what's on my heart. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. So I, I, I think, you know, I'm going to, I got to, what kind of notebook should I get? Um, I use the like hardcover ones. You can get them on Amazon. Moleskin is one. Yeah. Right. Minimal art is a cheaper version that you can find where it's just like a hard, nice here. This is an example. And so then you just put that year yeah, on the shelf then, and you, yeah, like this style. So it has the little yeah. thing that keeps it closed. It's hardcover. So you can throw it in your briefcase, throw it in your purse. Um, I use it for kind of everything because I also have my mom's terrible memory, so I forget <laughs> everything. Uh, so yeah, I write down, I use it to write down a lot. So it's not just journaling. So then too, it's like, I know some people have different notebooks and journals for different things, but I found that if I keep it all in one spot, because I have one brain, I can like look back and be like, oh yeah, I have that to do. And I have, you know, this was a thought that I wanted to think about more. Um, yeah, that's been really helpful. So yeah, I would say, for people, Lila uh, and Tambi are two two big ones. That's ter that's perfect. And then your your family's still in Kansas or Missouri? Where are they? Yeah, they're in Kansas. They live an hour and a half west of Kansas City. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Nice. Do you get home at all? Yeah, I do. I get home every couple of months, which is really nice. Yeah. Well, good. Well, so, so let's talk about your professional life now. So um, obviously you're in leadership um, and uh, so I was telling you before we got on the, the call that, I, that I've gone to uh, three marches for life. I went one back, uh, I want to say it was uh, six years ago. And then I went for two in a row with uh, my son and uh, blown away by, um, by all that. My folks would have loved this, by the way, uh, when, when back, in, you know, back in the day. They would have probably gotten a station wagon and, and uh, driven back there if they had known about it. But um, we, we made the trip to Chicago on buses, from Chicago to, uh, on buses, and um, really unbelievable experience just, um, just seeing the massive amount, the crowd, the, you know, how diverse the crowd was. I mean, huge families, folks with disabilities, older folks. Um, but tons and tons of people like your age. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I'd come back to our parish and I would say um, people would be kind of down about the future, you know, uh, you know, you know making talk about, you know, millennials and blah, blah, blah. I'm sitting there going, you got to go to DC, March <laughs> for Life, and check this out because I, all I saw there was the future of America. Yeah. And I was like, I love the future of America if these folks are there because there's people that are, are, are trying to help out the most vulnerable, you know, and, and so you're part of that. And so this is exciting stuff. And so you should be proud of your job. Thank you. I am. I'm very humbled and honored to be a part of this, this work and to have the job that I do. It's hard. All right, so tell, tell me what you do. 
so I am the Vice President of Strategic Partnerships. So my biggest role in the organization is I run all of our fundraising and development programs. Um, so, you know, live action can't do the work that we do except through donations because we're a 501c3. Um, so we have, you know, I have managed a team of five full-time people and we have one intern. So I manage all of our fundraising. And then, like I mentioned, I'm also on the executive team with Lila, our COO, uh, Joseph Lip, and then our legal counsel uh, and head writer, uh, Rob Coleman. Uh, so they're on the executive team. So I've, you know, I've been a part of Live Action for six years and kind of have been a big, I would say a big part of our metamorphosis. So many people might know Live Action as the undercover investigative organization. So we did a bunch of undercover videos. Lila started this when she was about 18 exposing Planned Parenthood. So she would go undercover with a camera, um, sometimes with other people and in all these different scenarios that she would make up and exposing what the industry was up to, you know, that they lie to women about the, you know, uh, development of their child. They'll help cover up rape and various other awful crimes. Um, so a lot of people know, or people who do know live action from before uh, would recognize us for that. But about two years after I started with Live Action, we kind of got back to our roots, which Lila's kind of gut instinct, which is, has proven to be correct, is that if people just saw for themselves that this is a preborn child that's getting ripped apart by metal tools and suction, uh, they would, people's minds change automatically. It's so un, inhumane and unbelievable that this is happening in our country and that you know mothers are allowing their children to be killed. Um, so we created the abortion procedure videos and it kind of launched us into a new phase of we are gonna focus hardcore and educating on the humanity of the preborn and how horrible abortion is. And a part of that is, you know, continuing to expose the abuses of the abortion industry at large. Um, but really keeping to that root of, you know, in terms of social movements, uh, civil rights movements, showing the victim of a crime has always been a linchpin to help uh, end that violence. You know, slavery is a great example um, of how images of slaves who are beaten and the scars that they were carrying helped to, for people to realize, oh my gosh, this is, you know, a brutal violence that needs to end. <clears throat> so we, we looked to previous civil rights movements to uh, impact our work today. So I help on the leadership team help develop our messaging, our strategy, you know, our big picture goals for like three to five years out. Um, and because we're a media organization and we are living in a, you know, media saturated social media culture, uh, we do have to be extremely agile. So having the, the vision of like, ultimately, what is our mission and goal? And then taking into account, you know, how, what, what is the narrative? What are people talking about? And how are people receiving information and getting educated um, is always a key piece of the, the big puzzle. Um, so on the leadership team, uh, fundraising. So, and I also help oversee some of our public relations, media, and our events as well. That is a big job. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so, um, boy, uh, you better have some armor uh, uh, around that, that's, that skin of yours, sister, because you're in a tough world, don't you think? Yeah, it is very tough. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of doubly tough because the, the fight itself for abortion, it's such an awful evil. Um, and you really feel the weight when you have to see the pictures and you know, you're know you having these discussions over and over again about this awful violence. 
Um, so the weight of the work itself is really challenging. And then I think for anyone who's a leader in a company, an organization, it's a lot of responsibility and people look to you for wisdom, um, for leadership to help guide people in the right direction. So the double, the double weight there is, I feel it. I feel it big time. You know, um, obviously this is, you know, as far as the issues go in America, this is like one of the most sensitive issues, mm -hmm. uh, political issues there is. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things that in my life is that, um, is that I believe that all of our, uh, politics is local and is retail in that, you know, the people that we deal with regularly every single day. And that I don't believe that when we meet people that it's on, it's by accident. I think we run into people and it's whether we're going to be a positive for them or a negative for them. And so, you know, those habits that you've got ingrained, you're going to need them, sister, because, uh, you know, this, this stuff is, you're in the trenches here. I mean, you're like St. Joan of Arc. Oh, I, I only hope I can be as cool as St. Joan of Arc. But, you know, did you, did, have you ever read her book, Mark Twain? Yeah, wrote? yeah. she's amazing. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, she was only, I think she was like, she's the only person in the world, teenager, yes. man or woman, to lead a nation's army into battle. And so, um, and then she got burned at the stake for it. You know, it's, it, you know, there was a thankless job. You don't want that type of end, but, but anyway, so, um, but you know, the, um, the, you know, it's su such a, you know, the thing about the, the, our faith is that our Christian faith is that there's so many great guideposts for us, um, on how to act and how to be. That's why I think that prayer life you're talking about is so important because, you know, we're all broken and we need that to fill in the pieces. But the, um, just to have the, the, I don't know, the strength and the courage to do your job and to stand up for the most vulnerable uh, people, that takes, a, it, it takes a lot of guts. Yeah. Yeah. And we have so many, I would say that would be, you know, if I could share one more habit. The other one is that I read every day. And like you're saying, like studying these heroes and saints and people who have already lived virtuous, awesome, heroic lives before us. Um, there's a great phrase that uh, someone shared with me recently that we don't imitate the actions of saints, but we imitate their virtues. So we kind of take their, their, their example and then we are like, okay, you know, I might not be able to like go into battle physically, uh, but at the same time, her courage is something that I can, you know, exemplify in different ways in my own life. Um, so yeah, I would say for sure the different saints that inspire me. Um, Saint Who's your favorite one? Give me, give, me the, give me some top saints in your life, Lauren. Top, top saints. Um, St. Catherine of Siena, I would say, is a top one. She's so bold <laughs> and gutsy. Yeah, she, she went knock on the, the Pope's door, yeah, right? Like, yeah. What, what a boss. She's like, uh, I see something wrong here. I'm going to do something about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so St. Joan of Arc, yeah. Uh, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Joan of Arc, I would say, is another one. And she's actually one of um, uh, Lila's personal favorites as well. Uh, it's my parish. That's my parish, Lauren. Oh, awesome. She's, she's oh. stuck in our lives. I always say when the saints... When saints come up in conversation or you like see them regular, they're like, hey, I'm like, want to help you out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's like we, all my kids went to St. Joan of Arc, you know, uh, in Lyle. So I, I always give a post, you know, a shout out to St. Joan. I think it's the best grade school 
in the country. Uh, so way, way to go, teachers of St. Joan. So nice. That's, that's great. great. So those are good ones. Those are good saints. Yeah. Also St. Um, Peter, I think is yeah. an awesome, awesome example. Um, he's so kind of like, uh, he's very sanguine and just like jumps at different opportunities and he fails multiple times throughout the gospels in his, in his time with Christ. And then, you know, when he denies Christ, like what a, it's like kind of the worst thing that you could do. Um, but then he kind of like in the comparison to Judas, like Judas despairs and just says, I can't be helped and I, I can't admit my wrong or he admits his wrong, but he doesn't know to like then turn, turn back to God. But St. Peter, go, he like, ex, you know, accepts that he failed and then he goes back to Christ and get back to God. So that would, I would say is like a, a lesson that I, you know, every time you fall, just keep getting back up. Don't, don't stop. Try again. Um, I also think, you know, in leadership, it's so easy to get burnt out, especially when you're passionate for your, for the work that you're doing, for the people that you're serving. Um, so learning when you kind of get that, I, this happens sometimes where you're like, I just want to quit. I'm so exhausted. I just got to yeah. stop. I want to give it up, but learning to just take a break, take some time offline and, you know, go take a nap, go rest. Um, I has also been a huge kind of lesson and yeah, picking yourself back up again after mistakes. Don't beat yourself up over it. Learn from it, figure out what to not do again in the future and keep pushing forward. That's great. And so, um, you know, one of the things that that um, that we that I that I got asked a lot about in, in when I'm talking about the pro-life issues is the fact that um, well, who are you to judge mm. others? And um, you know, my response to that is is typically is that I'm not judging anybody. Um, my my feeling is that my my job is to do exactly what I'm supposed to do. And part of my job is to be an advocate for my brother and sister. And that's my job is to be an advocate for them as much as I can. How do you deal with those type of issues when they come your way? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say for like the woman who's about to go have an abortion, how, why, why and how is abortion empowering to her or helping her? she's gonna carry a trauma with her forever. So we're not only caring about the preborn child who's in danger of death, but we are also caring for a woman who should not be put at odds with her own child in our, in our country. Um, so, and again, like in some ways you have to be able to call a spade a spade. Like it's not judging to say that something is right or wrong. Right. Um, we're not judging that person saying they're a terrible person. We're saying the decision is a, a moral right or wrong decision that needs to be made. And, you know, she, there is hope for her and there is empowerment for her. It's not judging her as a person. It's saying this action is actually not going to help you. And we actually do care about your future and your happiness. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the words that are used, you know, the, the, for the different monikers, um, you know, there's, there's, there's also a choice to be made. That's the most dramatic choice is that if you're in that situation, you can make the choice as to what kind of family you want this child to, to, to grow up in. There's so many people that would love to op be open to life and in America. And, and uh, so that's, that's a, the beautiful thing that you guys talk about is that, Hey, you know, that's a great choice to make and um, a lovely choice to make. I mean, obviously I'm so grateful as number nine that my mom made that choice um, that to have me and, one of the things that my mom always taught me is that, you know, 
every every life is a huge huge gift and yeah. you know i felt it in my life with my kids and and i'm um and you know the one thing that um that i always try and tell people is that hey listen i'm i'm a huge sinner i'm a hypocrite i'm all that stuff just like saint peter was and just like saint augustine saint saint paul all of them you know we we are sinners and everything but we know also what's right and wrong and we see forgiveness and there is forgiveness for every single body for every, for everything they do, but, you know, make the right decisions and then make sure that you have people around you that support you and are thinking about you rather than something else. Mm -hmm. So that's wonderful. Listen, I wanted to thank you so much. I mean, listen, I, I am going to pray for you guys that you guys will keep doing what you're doing and, um, Working hard. How many folks are at Live Action now? Uh, we have about 20 full-time staff. I mean, it seems like you guys have a thousand. You <laughs> yeah, know, from the everybody works, wears multiple hats, and does the work of of 10 men each. So that's great. Yeah. And I'm, so I know that you're really busy. I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I think that the stuff about the habits and the uh, and all that stuff is going to be really helpful to people. Awesome. I hope it is. Yeah, and then we'll talk to you down the road. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the internet at shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312-578-9501. Have a terrific day.